Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm currently scratching my head in bafflement at the uh, unique majesty of White Fire, this Fortnite's movie. Um, yes, now... An appropriate response. <laughs> I mean, yes, it is um, kind of amazing in, in the strangest possible way. Um, if you haven't seen this film, don't worry, we're, we're not going to go too far into spoilers, um, but I would advise that you either pick up the Blu-ray or... Uh, subscribe to the Arrow Video channel on Amazon Prime or Apple TV um, because it's on there. And yeah, there are so many weird moments in this movie. I don't really yes. want to spoil any of them for you. So um, if you can do that, it's only a fiver for a month on the Arrow Video channel. Definitely worth it. And um, do that, watch Whitefire, and then come back and listen to this. We're not going to ruin the ending, but... You know, there are little moments throughout that, that we are going to kind of talk yeah, about. Yeah, we can, I think we can talk obliquely about the first half and not worry too much about spoilers, given that no individual instance makes sense, even when watched in succession with every other instance. Well, <laughs> it's not like we're spoiling a narrative per se. That is such a salient point because this is a film where every line of dialogue feels like it borders on being a non sequitur. Um, yeah, like it, it's one of those scripts like Troll 2 that feels like it's been translated from a different language into English. Yeah, um, like Night of the Bloody Apes. Yeah. Like but, by, the, but by someone who speaks neither language. Yeah, exactly. Like there's one... Which would make sense because it's Turkish money and a French director with an American cast. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 100% certain that's what's happened, but it, it's like <laughs> small things. Like there was one phone conversation that really felt like it had been edited from two different films and put together because the lines sort of make sense one after the other, but they also sort of don't. So there's a conversation where um, one person says, I'll get there as soon as I can. And the other person says, and hurry. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of inferred that I'm hurrying if I'm getting there as soon as I can, but, but thanks. So anyway, we haven't done the plot yet, have we? Should we do the plot? Um, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll have a stab at that. <laughs> In a maybe near future it's hard to tell um some soldiers in what looks like homemade camo track down a family and massacre all but the kids uh who are then rescued on a beach flash forward to the modern day and the two children that survived who are robert ginty and who's the who plays the sister oh i don't know uh, belinda main belinda main have now all grown up. Uh, she works at a diamond mine, although that's a very generous description of the company, given that what they appear to do is to uh, occasionally find rocks in a cave and then torture people in a peculiar sci-fi set. Um, uh, and it turns out that they are petty thieves, well, you know, semi-petty, how petty can you be if you're stealing diamonds, on the side, uh, working with a, a gang of outlaws. And when white fire, the titular white fire, which is this, I think, radioactive giant diamond that you can't touch because it will kill you is discovered in an abandoned mine i think um they decide that they're going to steal it and a whole load of complication ensues including uh runaway stories uh, identity swaps it's fucking crazy yes crazy is the word um uh, question is this the most exhausting film ever made like it, it makes so little <laughs> sense you, 
you, you can't relax or take your eyes off it for a single second. Um, it's almost accidental surrealism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and what is it? It's 106 minutes long, but feels yeah. to me like 100 years. Uh, it, <laughs> it's, it's like someone took a Bond-themed deck of cards, reshuffled them, spread them out on a table, and released that as a movie. Like, I, <laughs> I don't understand what they were trying to do, Dan. What were they trying to do? Well, it's a weird one. I mean, it's a sort of, it's sort of a genre ripoff, but um, it's yeah. also like action, action thrillers were still comparatively new to the market at this point. Yeah. Um, like you had sort of spy and heist and all that kind of stuff, but but this kind of action was relatively new. And they're obviously kind of like trying their best. There's some genuinely fucking life-threatening stunts in here. Yes. I think you had a particular favourite. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the it's not 10 minutes old before we've got a, a, a life-endangering flamethrower stunt. Oh, and absolutely. Now, and, and now, Dan, uh, as, as someone who has been involved in, in you know, people being on fire in, in films that you've been involved with, a uh, particular kind of high point is Free Fire, Ben Wheatley's movie. There's a great uh, fire stunt in that. Um, how does this one rank or, or rate for you? <laughs> um, the, I mean, the one in, the one in Free Fire, uh, which was uh, designed by a fantastic stunt coordinator named Peter Pedrero, who yeah. I posted some of his stuff on social media recently, actually, for a film I did called Ravers, which was a nice, a nice burn. Same stunt performer for the burn as um, Free Fire, actually, um, John Sharp. But yeah, so I've seen how like the guys who are great at it do it. And all I can say is that on Whitefire, I suspect that the first thing to be burnt was the health and safety report. <laughs> <laughs> because it is astronomically badly done. Um, as far as I can tell, it's a real flamethrower. There's no like SFX team running yes. that thing. So there's yeah. no auto off. And it is and it is firing like normal fuel. Yeah. Like normal flamethrower fuel, which is a very yeah. fucking bad idea. And yeah. then on top of that. It's the director, Jean-Marie Paladi, playing the dad who gets burnt in that car. So, like, he's not a fucking stuntman. He's a French porn director who's moved into <laughs> recently moved genres. Like, he's out of his depth <laughs> in every possible way. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you just and know you just know that's the first thing that they shot as well. So if he'd have died, then um, you know, the movie I mean, would have been in trouble. I'm I'm not a first AD, so I don't do schedules, but if I was going to do a stunt where we had to set the director on fire, I'd put it right at the end of shoot, yeah, just fine in case. All day. <laughs> fine all day. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, apparently it went wrong. Like, apparently the, his his fireproof suit actually somehow ignited. Well, so it, he was genuinely, like, it, on fire to the skin at that moment. Yeah, it looks like it goes wrong. Like, it looks like... Yeah. That, that's why it's kind of so impressive Every, because someone, everything to do with the movie looks like it goes wrong <laughs> someone, yeah exactly um from from the the very first origination of the initial idea um right down to almost killing the director with fire um yeah <laughs> so you, you talked about the fact that it's an action thriller so there there are um few fight scenes in this and i do think that one of the kind of underrated elements of why this film is so entertaining and why it's got this weird kind of cult following is the fight foley so <laughs> you know obviously the sound effects during the fight scenes um which feel like they've been ripped from martial arts movies and, and laid over the fight sequences they've shot possibly without permission they sound oh, yeah. like they're from completely different films almost like you know street fighter 2 video game effects is that something that you picked up on 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's they're technically very restrained, considering this is kind of a Turkish film. And if yeah. you look at the standard, uh, I mean, you know, look at the the sort of copyright appreciation that was happening in Turkey at the time. Oh, 100% um, music, not just the remake. Man that saves but... the world. Yeah, special effects shots, yeah. music, whole soundtracks just liberally stolen from other films because they just didn't give a fuck. So it's quite, like, it is quite restrained for that kind of, that, yeah. you know, this particular subgenre. Yeah. But, I like, it's... It, it does it sits in this fantastic space where it's not so all out fucking crazy that you're like well you know it's it's just a turkish superman or it's a turkish you yeah. know whatever it, it feels just close enough to a like a hollywood movie that you're confused <laughs> all the way through yeah yeah uh, 100% and yeah i don't think i've seen quite a lot of turkish movies like Fangs is obviously one that I've recommended in the past. That's a big yeah, favourite yeah. and that, you know, lifts several soundtracks. You know, you hear the James Bond soundtrack on there and it would have possibly been appropriate here. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen a film where people don't seem to interact like actual human beings before White Fire. Like, there's something genuinely odd about every single interaction in this movie. Yeah, it's like they're all like sort of confused and like ad lib faking it through every situation kind of hoping that what is meant to be going on reveals itself to them just through context yeah but they're exactly. all doing it and so it's like the world's like most like life-threatening game of mad libs <laughs> yes exactly right well let's analyze the scene in detail um because i really <laughs> I, I really want to like... talk about the swimming pool sequence um yeah that's legit right um yeah so yeah, I mean, pretty normal. The sister goes for a naked swim. Then Standard she gets, for the era. Standard for the era. She gets out for a shower, mm-hmm. dries herself off. Mm-hmm. Her brother comes down the stairs to tell her dinner's on the table. Mr. Ginty, that, who is really giving his all in this scene. Yes, he is, unfortunately. He pulls away her towel and yep. says it's a shame... Exposing full frontal nudity. Full frontal nudity. Like, no, no flinching here. No, um, he says it's a shame that she's his sister. Then he apologizes, uh, I mm-hmm. think, for taking the towel away. And then he says that dinner's not actually on the table, it'll be ready in 10 minutes, right? And so she says, And she says, <laughs> okay, I'm going for a quick swim. And then yep. she goes off, <laughs> off shot, and we hear her jumping in the pool. And then she yep. misses dinner anyway. They totally yep. start without her, they don't seem to care. All this, you know. Oh, I, I just, uh, honestly, I, I felt like I was on drugs and, and I don't do drugs. <laughs> so, um, yeah, how, how did you feel the first time you watched this um, this masterpiece of a scene? I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I The first <laughs> time I saw this, so uh, regular listeners will remember that this was a recommendation um, from Kev from Arrow when he guested on the podcast while I was over in Canada and he recommended it then. So he got, got me a copy of it. I didn't watch it for quite a while. And then when I did, I recommended it on the podcast. And that was just before Arrow announced that they were going to be releasing it. What I didn't know until I put it in the machine recently, the new Arrow disc, was that I'd only seen a quite heavily cut version. So this was my first time watching it with all the amazing chainsaw violence. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, love, I love how that phrase is going to throw people for a loop. They're going to be like, chainsaw violence? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Um, yeah, this film literally has it all. It, it has absolutely everything you could want and or worry about being in a movie. 
Yeah, I, I don't know which I like more, the chainsaw violence or, or the fish hook violence, meat hook violence, whatever the hell that thing was that she throws. It's like a sack hook. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's just what a great moment. Oh, yeah, I, I think I think we should probably, I feel already feel like I'm spoiling too much, even though we've barely scratched the surface of, of what happens in the first half of the movie. And we should definitely keep the second half of the film vague. Um, yeah. But, you know, there is a vertigo element of this film that really only comes into play in the second half of the film. Um, oh. and, I, and I just want to go on record as saying that that is truly insane and quite, quite wrong. Um, <laughs> that that Look, whole subplot. <laughs> I'll tell you what's wrong. Ginty's costume when he pitches the thing, the plot element that you're talking about on the beach. <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a I, Halloween outfit. Yeah. I like to. I like to think that it was actor's own, and that Ginty <laughs> was just told to wear. Have fun with this one, Ginty. Bring wear what you want. I mean, it does feel like there was an actor's own element to this film. You know, not just in in what you say about it feeling like people are just kind of making up as they go along and hoping it's okay, and you know, have probably been kind of left on their own a little bit also in the interview with uh fred williamson on the disc where he basically just kind of shits on the movie for 15 minutes um while also talking about his own kind of career and approach and all the rest of it and and you know when i say he shits on the movie he does say that you know it's bad but in the way that makes it good um and i don't think anyone's going to argue with that but he talks a little bit about how he kind of took charge and and choreographed his own fight scenes and laid down the law in terms of his rules which is that he he doesn't lose a fight and he doesn't get killed by a human he specifies because <laughs> obviously in from dust till dawn spoiler alert for from dust till dawn but it doesn't go too well for him in that movie yeah uh, should we talk a little bit about the extras uh yeah it's i mean it's good um cat is it ellinger yeah yeah, Kat Ellinger does a, a really good uh, sort of appreciation uh, commentary talking about it, and in particular its sort of legacy in France, where apparently it's a, it's a big deal, and they, there's a sort of, there's more of a sort of cultural acceptance of, like, she shies away from the phrase so bad they're good films, they're called nana films in, uh, in, in, Fran in France, and that's full of some really good, uh, really good insight, and then there's some great interviews as well. Yeah. Yeah, you've got the director and the editor and, and, you know, Fred, as I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, not so keen, maybe, Fred, on this movie, but... <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, it, it is one of those films that has kind of gone down into legend as, as being kind of... What is it called in France? A Nana film. Nana. Yeah, I, Nana I love cinema. that. I love that. And, uh, well, I, I assume it means banana, like as in bananas. Which like... is even better. Yeah, I, I love that as a description. Um, and obviously, last time for the woman and offspring, I said the offspring feels like a red letter media best of the worst film, <laughs> whereas White Fire actually is a red letter media best of the worst film. Um, it does appear in one of their episodes. So um, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to cover. Yeah, get that. It's very, very funny. It's a, it's a good episode. Um, if there's anyone, any Arrowhead who hasn't uh, subscribed to Red Letter Media, uh, they are very funny. And if you love Whitefire, then um, Best of the Worst, the series they do, will be very much up your street. 
yeah, I mean, that's kind of it for the extras and almost it for the movie, though I feel we haven't really gone into too much depth on this one, but how could we possibly? Yeah, it's it's difficult. There's We've sort of stopped just before the first big like shift yeah. in dynamic mm. and its subsequent reveal and then the next subsequent reveal <laughs> like it's it's yeah. pretty fucking crazy and because it makes no sense they can just keep changing the direction of it they can keep saying ah oh, but is <laughs> this person i will say that williamson has probably my favorite russian roulette scene yes <laughs> in it which is fucking great <laughs> yeah that is a great scene yeah he is kind of charismatic in this film and um yeah if you would like a drinking game to go with this film with white fire maybe take mm-hmm. a drink every time you see a new mustache um though that's good you know yeah uh, i i can't remember what cat's recommendation is cat recommends a drinking game on the uh, on the audio commentary but if you feel that her suggestions aren't enough i'd definitely supplement that with a, a mustache also uh, finish your drink every time there's a shot that appears to be in a different location and with different costumes <laughs> like just spliced into a scene dan you're gonna kill so many people <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um what can we say it's uh absolute fun trash worth the the subscription to the arrow video channel alone or certainly the blu-ray i mean it's it's a beautiful disc great extras a lovely yeah. slipcase, and i actually really really love the original poster you know i all, do as well of all the things they got wrong on this film they got the poster very very right it is beautiful yeah i mean i think the with this one because it's got the slipcase, i've i've flipped the cover inside so yeah. i've got both art basically it's nice. yes i did exactly the same so um Yes, we definitely recommend watching this one. But what else do we recommend, Dan? What have you got off the back of White Fire? Um, yeah, so off the back of White Fire, my first recommendation is actually from 2015, so comparatively recent. Uh, you, do you remember the five-second film, guys, from YouTube and the internet, Sam? Of, of course, yes. Yeah, did you know they'd made a feature? I did not know that. No, I didn't until a couple of weeks ago. It's on Amazon. You can rent it for a couple of quid. It's not very much. It's called The Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. Wow. It is presented as being a long-lost, straight-to-VHS, like, sort of super low-budget sequel. And it starts very, very strongly out of the gate with a lot of poor practical effects. Um, But it's basically like like one of their... Like dozens of their five-second films all thrown together. You get, like, a gag every five seconds, basically. Wow. Um, Which is really great. And the other thing is that it's one of the, in in my opinion, one of the very rare occurrences of someone deliberately trying to ape the So Bad It's Fun movie style and actually succeeding. And that is tough. That is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Well, because what they're doing is the writing is actually very, very solid. Yeah. And then they're leaning into the aesthetic and the traditional mistakes of the genre and poor continuity. And But it's also got this really healthy do- dose of surrealism in it. So the first, like, ten minutes of the movie is essentially a catch-up of the first two movies, which don't exist, um, which is why they are... It's wall-to-wall death sequences, like crazy beheadings and people being split in half and loads of fun practical effects. Um, and then it gets into the meat of the movie, which is about the return of this killer called Motherface. <laughs> <laughs> and and it sort of goes from there. It's a teen slasher structure. 
Um, it's yeah, it's really really fucking funny. Probably my favorite gag from it, and it's not a spoiler. Is at one point or a couple of points in the film, one of the characters just occasionally speaks a bit of French because he's cool, but the subtitles are not what he's saying. <laughs> Uh, so the first time he speaks French, the subtitles just say, help, I'm trapped in a basement, they're making me write subtitles. <laughs> and then through the rest of the movie, whenever he speaks French, we get further pleas for assistance. That's fantastic. <laughs> from whoever they've got writing the subtitles. Absolutely brilliant. That's brilliant. Excellent. Yeah, I'll definitely check that one out. Um, that's great. Uh, my first recommendation based on White Fire is... Now, you've watched White Fire, okay? Now, I want you to imagine that the opening sequence is feature length, and that is basically Deadly Prey, um, which <laughs> I th- think I've listed as a guilty pleasure favourite on the podcast before, um, but it's too perfect not to recommend for this. Um, we didn't really talk about the opening sequence outside of the flamethrower moment, um, but it's just as baffling as everything else in this film. Like, Yeah, it doesn't seem to exist in the same world. No, where are they? Why are they being chased? There's no consequences, you know, to it other than, you know, this guy named Sam turns up and decides to adopt them on a whim. Um, on a beach. On a beach to turn them into diamond smugglers, diamond thieves. Yeah, and, like, the only <laughs> bit of, like, narrative, like, lifting you could argue the opening scene achieves is that it tells you they're orphans. But that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, that doesn't play into the rest of the film. I mean, not, like, oh, fuck, I don't want to spoil the film, but are orphans more likely to fuck each other? (laughs) Is that what this film is about? I think that might be what this film is about. Maybe it's something to do with, you know, bonding through trauma, I don't know. But, um, (laughs) you know, let's move on. Uh, 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 in Deadly Prey, uh, a former soldier played by the magnificent Ted Pryor is kidnapped and forced to play war games to train mercenaries, um, which basically involves a lot of running around woodland areas in California. Um, like I say, it is a pure guilty pleasure. Um, if you do want to save time, um, because, you know, no one has had <laughs> the foresight to release this on Blu-ray yet. I don't know why, but I'm desperate. Please, Arrow, give me Deadly Prey on Blu-ray. Um, but, you know, if you can't track it down, I, I got it on Big Box VHS, but if you can't track it down and you want to save time, there are a few compilation videos of all the best bits on YouTube. Um, but maybe maybe be patient and, and wait for the inevitable Arrow Blu-ray of Yeah, Deadly it must Prey. be coming up. Come on, please. Please. Um, Dan, what's next from you? Um, so my next one's probably a little bit more seen than Do Bro, and I'd say it's it's a much better, it's a much more competently put together film than White Fire, mm-hmm. but the action and a couple of specific things in the action like make me automatically associate it with White Fire. So my next recommendation is 1998 from uh, Louis Chai Lang, uh, who did Dirty Ho and 36th Chamber of Shaolin, and it's the early Chaiyun Fat classic Tiger on the Beat. Nice. Um, so this is uh, early Chow in that he's uh, still more of a comedian than an actor, but it's late early in that there is still quite a lot of action in it. Chai Ling was uh, also, I think, he, well, he was also a stunt coordinator. I think he might have been the stunt coordinator and choreographer, fight choreographer on 36th Chamber, so he knows his shit. When I first saw Tiger on Beat, 
as it was called on my <laughs> sorry I've, i always call it tiger on beat because that's what my hong kong dvd says on it but tiger on the beat um there's a moment where uh, chow appears in the third act where chow appears being all cool and he's he's got a machete in his hand and he's he sort of like spins it 360 below his hand it's the coolest move and I'm pretty sure he had it on a bit of string so it wouldn't fall. But when I watched this, I had one of my only ever non-film-related jobs. I worked in a homewares shop in my hometown. And I uh, I would practice this move. I was in my mid-teens. I'd practice this move with a rolling pin in the cookery section whenever I was sort of like assigned to that area of the shop. And uh, it ended with me knocking a jar off a shelf. <laughs> 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 but it, <laughs> but I, I can do it. I can do it now. So, uh, yeah, that's my... But there's a fucking great chainsaw fight at the end, anyway. Two men wielding, dueling chainsaws against each other. But, yeah, Tiger on the Beat is a, is an absolute classic of sort of, like, late 80s Hong Kong action comedy cinema. I think, weirdly, like, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into my next recommendation in a sec, but I think, weirdly, if you combined all of our recommendations this week, we would have created a diamond we would have created white fire Um, (laughs) a dangerous dangerous diamond (laughs) (laughs) yes because my next recommendation is pin oh wow yeah 1988 um which is uh, a very creepy psychological thriller um about a brother and sister being brought up to believe that their father's medical doll is real and talks and um yeah, it's it's very very creepy. I I don't want to go too much into the plot because again it's an underseen gem. Um I think it's probably more seen than Deadly Prey, but I still think there's a lot of people who are listening to this who won't have seen Pin. Um but this is a kind of high recommendation from me. This is one of those films yeah, it's that great. I kind of put on for people who haven't heard of it. But yeah, it's got the weirdness of White Fire along with the weird incest vibes. Um, but it's a much more coherent movie and there are infinitely less chainsaw fights. Um, more competent special effects as well. The design of Pin himself is really good. Everything, Yeah, exactly. The, the design of Pin is beautiful and the, his voice is so... Oh, yeah. It just cuts through you, doesn't it? It's so uniquely chilling. Um, I haven't seen it for years. You're making me want to go back to it. Is there a is there a blue of it around, or is it? A, I think yeah. I think down. it did get released on blue in the states, but I don't think there's one in the UK yet. So okay. th- there's another one for Arrow shopping list potentially. <laughs> Who knows? Um, Dan, what have you been watching the past couple of weeks? I can't remember if I mentioned that I had. I, I feel like I mentioned that I had heard of this and that I had ordered it, but I hadn't received it yet mm-hmm. last time. But maybe I didn't. Maybe that was off mic. But um, so there's a, a Spanish director called Javier Fessa. Uh, he's only done five features, only four of them are live action. Uh, he started with uh, Pitinto's Miracle, Milagro de Pitinto, uh, which is beautiful and funny and wacky and weird. Um, and then he moved on to a live action adaptation of the Mortadello and Filemon cartoons uh, and comic strips originally. Um, which is fucking incredible and is like a roll call of high-end uh, European comedy talent. He then did a heartbreaking live-action feature called Camino, which I, I also strongly recommend. They're all great. He did an animated sequel to Mortadelo and Philemon. It was actually the third film after a very disappointing second live-action that he didn't do, which I haven't seen. And then I heard, I was like, the other day, I saw an amazing short film by him 
which I think I posted on, I definitely posted on Twitter recently. Uh, and I was like, oh, whatever happened to Javier Fessa? I feel like he should have done loads of movies. And I looked him up and he'd recently done this comedy. And I, I read a synopsis of it and I was like, if anyone else had done this, I would not trust it. I would, I would think this was going to be very, very problematic. But I trust Fessa immensely. <laughs> so I ordered the Blu-ray. Uh, I think it's from Spain. It has English subtitles on it. It hasn't got an English release. It's from 2018. It's called Campeones, or just Champions. Um, and it's about a uh, professional basketball coach who's like the, the second coach up on the top leagues of basketball in Spain. And he gets in a fight with his boss and is ultimately fired for being a, a twat. And it gets drunk to commiserate, drives home, crashes into a police car, is sentenced to community service, and his community service takes the form of becoming the coach for a um, a basketball coach at a sports centre, a rec centre, for people with learning disabilities. And it's a sports movie. I know you were trying to get me to watch some basketball sports stuff recently, so this is my concession. <laughs> um, it's a sports movie um about uh, a team with very severe learning disabilities and all of the people all the actors in it uh genuinely have the disorders that they are representing so there's no uh like sort of uh appropriation it's also a, a partially true story it's very by the numbers as far as the actual structure goes like there are a lot of things you'll be able to predict as it goes on but it's so unbelievably charming that you just won't care at all it's 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 so nice it's genuinely very funny um and again on twitter recently i was asking people to recommend films that made them cry this was the spark for that tweet it absolutely fucking ruined me oh wow okay <laughs> it's it's so beautiful oh wow um and they're all like all of the actors in it both professional and uh you know cast specifically because of uh their their like place in the world this film represents are fantastic and although very sadly it doesn't have english subtitles on it there is also a making of on the disc which is worth watching just to watch the like the joy that was clearly there on set wow beautiful yeah it's okay. amazing I, honestly dan like this is um this is gonna do damage to my bank account this this week because uh yeah, you've recommended some really, really great stuff. Now, I'm going to, before I get into my recommendations, I have an extra thing to throw in. Sorry. But um, basically, I watched um, our zombie for sale commentary, Dan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't had the finished disc through yet, but I got a check disc. Um, I don't know if you've had yours yet. Have you had yours yet? I have, but I'm afraid I haven't put it in the machine. Oh, no worries. Um, when you do... You know, uh, all I want to say is to the precious arrowheads, we we aren't going to do a zombie for sale um, podcast because obviously we did the commentary, so everything we have to say we'd just be kind of repeating on a podcast. Um, but because of the time that we did it, and you know what was going on and all the rest of it, because um, this was wasn't too long after um, lockdown had kind of started, yeah, yeah. so. I'd kind of completely forgotten everything that we said. Um, <laughs> so sitting down and listening to it last night, I was kind of, I, I got to have the experience that our listeners potentially have, which is <laughs> to experience it, you know, new. And I have to say, man, like, you are amazing on that commentary. Like, oh, the, the amount of research that you did and the amount of kind of detail and stuff, I was like, holy shit, this is really good. So, <laughs> <laughs> not that I didn't think it was good at the time, but, you know, you can't... I, I 
I guess, you know, this might be interesting to people listening. When you're recording a commentary, we've done two now. We did The Villainess, we did Zombie for Sale. And it's a really weird energy. It's a really... Three, Sam. We did Frankenstein's Creature as well. Oh, we did Frankenstein's Creature as well. Yes, we did. But but yeah, it's it's a really weird energy, isn't it? Um, because you feel under a great amount of pressure to fit in With, your research yeah. and the points you want to make before the film kind of moves on. But without running, yeah, without running behind, it's like an egg and spoon race. Yeah, it's exactly like an egg and spoon race. And so, you know, in in that kind of context, in that circumstance, I don't think I was able to fully take in, you know, as much as I should have. But yeah, listening to it back, I was genuinely really impressed by, you know, what you were saying and and you know how much detail you went into so it will be a treat for anyone who wants to pick up that disc I feel like i'm a fucking salesman this week but i did <laughs> genuinely listening to it last night and everything that i'm saying is the truth i was genuinely you know um impressed by and proud of um my friend so yeah well done dan i, I hope well, to hear thank you very much i hope to hear many more commentaries from you in the future um, if they can also feature me, that would be nice. But um, you, you're genuinely great at it. It's a real skill. So, yes, enough. Enough of that soppy stuff. <laughs> what have I watched over the past couple of weeks other than something that I worked on? Well, The Informant. Um, have you ever watched The Informant, Dan? Uh, it feels like quite a general title. I don't know, but you might be about to surprise me, and I have, but I don't um, think so. Yeah, it's the the Steven Soderbergh movie. Um, oh, no, I haven't yet. Yeah. It is one of the best and most original scripts I've seen for a while. Um, It's a film that doesn't talk down to its audience at all. It just keeps building and building like a really well-told joke. It's essentially about... And again, this is another thing where I don't... It's based on a true story, so, you know, I can't really spoil it, but it's the structure of the thing that really kind of... At first, you're like, "What what the fuck is this? And then it pulls you in and you realise what's going on and you're like, holy shit, that is amazing. So I'm actually not going to talk too much about the plot. Um, It's called The Informant, stars Matt Damon, who is excellent. Um, Scott Bakula is there in support. He's fantastic too, but the whole cast is great. And yeah, it is just a beautifully constructed script that, that kind of really pays off as it goes along. It is available for free on Amazon Prime at the moment, so you know, while you're going on to your Amazon Prime account to subscribe to the Arrow Video channel that's on there, why not watch The Informant? Because it's, you know, it is a really fun and, yeah, intelligent film. Nice. Yeah. What's uh, what's next from you? Well, we're not going to do Zombie for Sale because we've already talked all over it, but there's a, another Korean film that maybe we can do now that we're also allowed to talk about Arrow Academy titles as well. It was released as a double bill, and I actually recommended the other film on the disc uh, previously, but I hadn't got around to watching this one. Uh, it's a Korean picture from 2005 uh, by Hong Sang-hoo called Tale of Cinema, which is beautiful. It's a uh, low-level perception-bending uh, narrative that tells a couple of different stories, although they you realise eventually that they're connected ostensibly about selfishness and the Mm -hmm. causes of selfishness and what make people feel the way that they um like the what makes people feel the way that makes them behave that way little bit of a warning for some of our listeners in that the first half of the film is about a suicide pact (laughs) so it does have some some difficult stuff in it but it's 
uh, it's really, really beautiful. One of the things that's really interesting about it is that the the whole movie is ostensibly shot in each scene is a single take. There's no editing. There's a lot of uh, like reframing, zooming, and and turning, but there's no. To my memory, there's not a single edit during a scene. Like they'll cut if they're showing someone moving from place A to place B. But even then, often that's achieved with a, just a radial like turn. But it's a really interesting film because it it definitely sort of brings you into it in a peculiar way. The other film on the disc is Woman is the Future of Man, which I recommended a while ago and which I restate my recommendation on, uh, which I saw at Cannes yonks ago. And that was the first uh, Hong Sang-hoo picture I did. He's he's kind of a heavyweight like artistic director, art director in um, in Korea, but hasn't really seemed to have made many waves in England at least. Mm. Um, I've not seen a lot of his other stuff, but everything I've seen has been fantastic. And uh, Tale of Cinema uh, from 2005 is beautiful. Well, yeah, great. Um, lovely. And my next recommendation is an Eureka release. It is Mr. Vampire, which I, nice. think, I think will be out um maybe not uh it's out on the 22nd of july i think so it might not yet be out when this um goes up but it's worth pre-ordering um it's a 2k restoration uh the film is a mixture of horror martial arts comedy and a quite odd love story but it all combines in a really fun way uh it's about a taoist priest and his two students who are tasked with reburying a rich man who turns out to be a vampire, um, which is a fun premise. And yeah, decent disc as well with three interviews and uh, I think it's a director and two of the stars and a really interesting commentary. Um, so yeah, Mr. Vampire, I recommend it. Yeah, it's great. I, I've not seen it for years. I, I don't know if it's the origin of the filmic hopping vampire staple. But yes. it's definitely the first one I saw. Yeah, and it was also the first one I saw too. And um, yeah, that's actually, thank you, Dan, a very important detail that I should have included in my <laughs> uh, description right. of it. Yes, uh, it, it, in uh, China, um, the, the vampires um, do not um, kind of slowly seduce people. They hop towards them. Um, yeah, bunny and, hops. Yeah, and it, it, it makes for... a. a you know, you'd think it would be silly, but it is actually still quite scary. I mean, it's still silly, obviously, um, <laughs> but but it's also scary uh, in, a, in a really weird way. It's just another one of these completely unique films that um, is almost impossible to describe. You just have to experience it. But yeah. Mis- yeah, mis- yeah, yeah. I've seen... I've seen other hopping vampire movies since, but I would say I would go out on a limb and say this is the cream of the crop. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would also I would also agree with that. And actually, uh, you mentioned Arrow Academy uh, titles that we might do in the future. I have a contender to throw at you, which arrived Ooh, yesterday. Um, it's a, a Czech disc that I've got. Uh, the game. Would you be up for doing that in the future, maybe? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do the game. That's great. Yeah, the, one of the more modern pictures, but yeah, I love it. Exactly, yeah. I really love the game. So, um, yeah, maybe... I must say, I haven't seen it that. for fucking ages, so that's no, a lovely me either. gamble. me either. <laughs> it was one of those where um, I watched it over and over again in, in over a yeah. period of time and then just never went back to it. So I'd be excited to revisit it. So there is one for your pre-order list. Um, do I do I keep my laser disc after I get rid of if if oh. I like do I get rid of the laser disc if I get the arrow blue? 
do not because you know that there will be shit on that laser disc that is nowhere else. It's always the case. <laughs> always the case. I need oh. room, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and oh god, do you know what else I want to do? I don't know why I've turned this into our, our normal conversation about what we're doing in the future, but potentially the Gamera box set. Um, fuck yes, obviously I'm 100 percent in. Let's yeah. talk about Gamera. Wonderful. Um, yeah, which, there's loads of again. Yeah, there's a lot of good I'm stuff coming up. I'm not a salesman. I'm not a salesman, but um, oh, we are low key salesmen, to... Sam. Well, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, but I don't normally do it in such an on-the-nose way, but there is just so much exciting stuff coming up at the moment. And again, the Arrow Video channel, um, Gamera uh, is going on there on July the 1st. Um, so, so that will be by the time this episode goes up. So, um, yeah, uh, another reason to subscribe to that. Right, I'm, I'm going to stop I'm gonna stop this now. Go on, Dan, what are you going to say? <laughs> I was, I was going to do a Gamera thing, but I don't know if it's... Uh... I don't know if I should. There was an old VHS of Gamera that I picked up from a Sam Goody in uh, in my hometown yes. many, many years ago. That dates that purchase. And it was released by the old manga label. You know, the British mostly do anime, but they did a few Godzilla titles. Uh, they did a Gamera. As far, like, it, I may be projecting on this, but if I, I think I remember that some of, if not all of the voices for the dub that were on this VHS, and obviously just the dub, because... VHS um, were competition winners. Wow! No way! That's incredible. And, and so it is unfucking believably bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and I mentioned this. I mentioned this to the guys at Arrow when they first said they were getting Gamera. Yeah. They were going to do Gamera, yeah. and I said, "Please, for the love of God, track that down." So I don't know if they. I think it also had like a British dance soundtrack. Oh wow! So if. But that might have been a different release. But but if they've managed to track that down, I mean, I'm going to get it anyway, but my God. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah. Like, do you think that's where the the um, the expression, oh, they must have been competition winners came from um, when it comes I, I, to I, bad I would like that to be the films. case. Yeah, me too. Right. Should we move on to extra features? Extra features. Extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. Uh, I'm assuming that you don't have any surprise extra features this week. I have a small surprise extra feature. Oh my God, yes. What is it? Just just a little tiny one. Well, because Kev recommended the film to me and gave me the first copy of it, I wanted to go back to him and talk to him about it now that I'd seen it and talk about how he how it came to be part of the Arrow canon. Um, so I dragged him away from virtual can. And he sat down with me for a quick chat about the acquisition of Whitefire and how it came to be on Arrow. So I'm uh, now joined uh, by Kev from Arrow, who you may remember from all the way back when I was doing these things sans Sam uh, out in Canada. Back then, Whitefire was actually one of Kev's recommendations on the podcast. Uh, so now, flash forward, uh, you know, almost a year and a half later, and it's been released. I had no idea when it was recommended to me that this was the trajectory. Kev, hello. Welcome to the podcast. How are you going? Oh, yeah. You know, doing all right. I'm boiling to death. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Did, like, when you told me about White Fire all that time ago, did you, like, was, did you know it was destined for Arrow? Was that already in the works? I did. I did. It was a cheeky little leak that I was wondering whether people would actually pick up on or not. Um, so... Some people might have done, some people may didn't, but uh, but it's with us now. It's uh, been a been a bit of a journey. Oh yeah, it was amazing. It, it blew me away the first time I saw it. 
uh, you actually, yeah, you, you, you provided me with a copy of it back then, although I didn't get around to watching it until later. It then made another appearance on the podcast, but I recommended it after I finally got around to watching it. The version that's on the disc, though, is way longer than the version that I saw on your recommendation. All the previous versions have been cut, which is, I think there was a US DVD that wasn't, but um, all the VHS releases and everything since, since it's been released have all been cut. I think there was a, a US DVD that was uncut, and there might have been like a Turkish VHS um, that was uncut as well. Seeing things for the first time there. That's amazing. So, so that was a so it was a new version for you as well at that point. It was when I saw the screen. I saw the first time of the uh, of the master that we that that we received from the sales agent of France. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I, looking at the extras, I see it's it's got something of a cult uh, following in France. Like it's better known over in France than it is maybe in the UK. Can you talk about the process of of, of securing it for Arrow? Like uh, about saying we want we want to do this yeah it was a kind of happy accident really um i was talking to uh talking to the french sales agent um of the film uh who don't normally sell library titles they're, they're normally specializing in, in new products and they just they just had this from um from the director and he was like look i know you got, you're into your cult films do you, do you know this and i was like no he was like well we've just picked it up um, here's a DVD. Let me know what you think. Um, fast forward to about three days, and I'm not, I suppose you better watch this. Chucked it in the DVD player, and I think the words "What the fuck" were the first things that came out of my mouth. Um, in a very, very good way. Um, just, I was blown away how incredibly mental it is, just from the first seconds to the very last frame. Oh wow! I'd I'd assumed it was one of these ones that you caught in your youth and then had always sort of hankered after being able to to see again. No, no. I mean, I I, I knew of it, but I had never seen it before. I got the um got the DVD from the sales agent. You know, I I knew of its existence, but I'd never never gotten around to seeing it. Never never really heard like, oh, you should definitely watch this. You know how you get the sort of the second generation VHSs from your pals and stuff. It was it was never one of those, so it was it was quite a discovery for me. Um, and I think I've probably seen it about six or seven times now. <laughs> and every time it, you know, it's just as entertaining as the first. There's so much in there. There's so 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 many levels in there that are just off off the scale. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty crazy movie. So is there is there anything else that you're like that you've come across that you're trying to maneuver or anything that you remember from your past that you wish you could bring to arrow anything crazy you can recommend there is one that i'm working on right now but i'm not going to mention the title i'll leave it at that um it it was um it was one of the first films i saw of a movement which was around in the early two, late 90s early 2000s i'll uh that's as much as i'll um i'll fish out but it's been one of my favorite films and it's probably just as mental, but not in the same way. I mean, that's both mysterious and exciting. <laughs> Extremely cryptic answer to that question. <laughs> you're um, you're actually currently uh, weighed down in virtual can, are you not? I am indeed. I am indeed. I'm uh, sitting on the croissette, sipping rosé um, over the internet. But uh, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's been a strange experience. It's... It's very different to um, to being in Cannes, not having to 
not having to run around and be be pouring with sweats for getting from a cinema to uh, to a meeting. Um, so to make up for it, I've been uh, doing a couple of laps in the back garden before any meetings, <laughs> just to make sure I'm I, I'm suitably sweaty. Properly manging. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been it's been quite it's been quite good. The, the way they've kind of run it is pretty much as the festival is. So you know you have to. Um, be at screenings when they start you, you get a little grace period after it starts but um you can't you can't just go like oh i want to watch that and then just sit there for a day and watch like the week's worth of films you have to be at the cinema in the inverted commas um at the time it starts and the same with meetings it's all run through their platform so you kind of jump from jump from one booth booth to the next that's interesting do you think it's going to have a, a, an effect on future can post-pandemic can um, I was having the same conversation with a sales agent yesterday, actually. Um, I'm not sure whether Cannes itself, because of the whole glamour and the glitz of Cannes, yeah. and, and launching a film there is very much what filmmakers and producers and want, and and I think the festival itself holds that quite dear. I think it might possibly have an effect on some of the smaller markets, um, and seeing the success of this, they may choose to, you know, to have a more virtual thing, or it might slim down the amount of the amount of companies that are actually there presenting because it costs for the companies there that are presenting films. Yeah, it costs expensive. them. It costs them absolute fortunes. So, we've got flights and hotels and um, you know the cost of just having a booth in the in the main building is astronomical. Um, so, I think we might see in future years or in future markets maybe some some agents not attending or only partially attending and having a more virtual thing where they'll, you know, they'll send out screeners and, and have a meeting with you on zoom rather than having to pay to screen that film in a, in a cinema in can and have a booth and potentially not come away from it with, with anything. Yeah. It's, it's always such a gamble, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, but I've seen some good stuff. There's been some, some interesting films. Um, and yeah, we'll see where, see where they go. And are they uh, are they doing the parties via Zoom as well? <laughs> Funnily enough, they are. Uh, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a uh, opening um, uh, cocktail party, uh, which was not via Zoom. It was via the platform which the market are using. It's I've not come across it before, but it's pretty much the same thing. Um, platform called Talk with Q U E rather than the K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the opening cocktail party, there's a closing party tonight that starts at 10 o'clock. Um, and um, yeah, it's all like Zoom rooms and stuff. So it's, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're there. And I've been having sort of in jokes with uh, with colleagues sort of saying, uh, meet, meet me there, get me a rosé uh, and we'll talk about stuff. Brave new world. Well, thanks so much for joining us, man. Uh, I hope you have a lovely time at your virtual party tonight. I'm 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 not partaking in any virtual parties. I've been been working quite long hours this week because of uh as yourself will know from being to being festivals yeah. before, like the screenings start at eight o'clock in the morning and the last one sometimes midnight at night. So there have been um some some long days. So the uh, they've they've uh successfully recreated the can burnout. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've um, I've got festival fatigue, put it that way. Fair enough, man. Well, I hope you. Uh, I wish you a speedy recovery. Yeah. Um, what's your um, what's your favourite bit about Wi-Fi? Favourite little tiny nugget scene? Oh man, it's 
to be honest, it's probably the totally laissez-faire attitude to the introduction of the incest subplot. <laughs> like how unbelievably matter of fact they are about it. Like it's not even a thing. Like it's like who could possibly object? <laughs> um, I, I suppose it's a it's a mini spoiler for those that haven't seen it, and those that haven't seen it, go out and grab it now. Uh, Arrowfilms.com and uh, just seek it out, grab it. Um, is uh, the best bit the? It's kind of the intro to the incest, but uh, when they're playing around the pool and he that's, yeah, that's off. very much what I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I suppose it's a it's a mini spoiler for those that haven't seen it, and those that haven't seen it, go out and grab it now. Uh, Arrowfilms.com and uh, just seek it out, grab it. Um, is uh, the best bit the? It's kind of the intro to the incest, but. Uh, when they're playing around the pool and he that's, yeah, that's very much what I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The line, if only you weren't my sister. It's just like, oh my God, this is so bad. Well, yeah, thanks again, man. Thank you so much. Not a problem at all. Always love to speak to you soon. There you go. Fantastic. Obviously, I haven't heard this because, again, it was a surprise for me uh, as much as it was for you, Precious Arrowhead. Uh, but I absolutely love Kev, so uh, I can't wait to hear what he had to say about this insane film. Wonderful. Thank you for doing that, Dan. That's great. Uh, that's it. Social media, Dan, how can people follow you? At 13fingerfx on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm trying to... Uh, be more varied in my output and there's been some more effectsy stuff going up on my insta recently as well so excellent including the burns i mentioned earlier um because i did some makeups to go with them so fantastic but you know never stop sharing stuff about the dogs though oh no i mean i i, I can't believe it's we've been going this long and i haven't mentioned it pig does actually have his own instagram <laughs> <laughs> so i guess i'll give that a shout out um i'm not very good at updating it but pig and moose both feature regularly on the dog named pig when does instagram. when does moose get his own instagram i think i think moose is just muscled in right fair enough they just both they just both feature on that you just can't change the app so and uh obviously uh there's a lot of dog stuff on twitter i particularly enjoyed oh, yeah. the uh the the being locked out of the garden because they got drunk on cherries Oh my God, they are fucking obsessed with cherries to the extent that Moose has learnt to fake needing the toilet oh. so he can go out and eat cherries. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Absolute legend. Um, Conniving little bastards. <laughs> I am on uh, at Sam Ashurst and that's on Twitter and I'm also on at Sam Ashurst 23, the number two, the number three uh, on Instagram. Um, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank uh, you. And we promise to be more professional next time, which will Cross be hearts. Dream Demon. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. See you next time. Thanks so much. Bye.